We are in week four of CORE, and uh, if you've been here with us through this whole series, um, quick recap, and if you missed a week, you can catch up with us, but week one, we talked about this word together, and we looked at Acts 2, and the whole thought was that God has called us to do life together, and when that happens, it's kind of underneath this banner of the church, a catalytic movement occurs, and then we moved into this, this concept love. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is to love each other. And the challenge was to love God with all of us. And in result, we will love each other. And then last week, we looked at this word grace. How we are on one side, God's over there, and there's this gap. And the only thing that can fill that gap, the only way we can get to God by his grace, his son dying on the cross for us. So today, we kind of end this three-part epic trilogy, this love, grace, and then today's trust. And I thought about this word trust. And for you and I, we, we trust a lot of things every day that probably we just don't even think about. For instance, uh, for some of you, uh, you set your alarm clock last night. Maybe this is the day you got to sleep in and really sleep in. Or if you have young kids, that's your alarm clock. They wake you up. But I set my alarm clock last night, and it's, it's been an amazing past two days, but we had some pretty uh, 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 incredible meetings. But there were 17-hour days, those type of days. And so by the time I got home late last night, and I had uh, some more stuff just to kind of get my mind around for today... And by the time I went to bed, it was about 11.30. And so when my alarm clock went off at 5.30 this morning, my first thought as it was beeping and I was hitting snooze, I was like, wow, what? do I have something going on today? Right? It was like my first thought. And all of a sudden, it was like slant like a train. I was like, oh, it's Sunday. I better show up. Uh, that's important. But when I set my alarm clock last night, guess what? I just trusted that it was going to go off this morning. I didn't sit there worrying about it. I just knew. I set it. I hit the button. And at 5.30, it will beep. Have you ever had one of those employees before, late to work, and they show up and they try to blame their alarm clock? Like their alarm clock had a choice to go off or not. Like, well, maybe you didn't set it, or maybe you hit snooze, or maybe user error, but you can trust that if you set your alarm clock, guess what? It's going to go off. Have you ever stepped on a plane before? And as you're walking onto the plane, have you ever just glanced at the, the cockpit door and just kind of quickly said to yourself, wow, I hope he's having a good day. I hope he's sober. I, I, right? We just trust that the, the man or woman sitting in that chair flying the plane is qualified, having a good day, and will get you safely from point A to point B. Have you ever had that thought when you're on approach and you can feel the landing gear go down? You're like, yes. They're going down. Then you think, well, I hope all of them came down. But we just trust. We trust against logic that that piece of steel can fly. You go into a restaurant. I, I found out that in New Jersey, they don't give uh, restaurants letter grades. But in Vegas, I know New York City, right? There's a big A or B 
or C, uh, you know, endorsed, letting you know that that's the standard. There's a TV show that I watch because it's that mindless watching. It's called Kitchen Nightmares. Any of you seen that? If you, right? You'll never want to eat in a restaurant again. After you, you see what he discovers in the back kitchen, but you go, you order your food, and it comes out looking amazing, it tastes amazing, and you just trust that hands are being washed in the back. You're just trusting that they didn't put the raw chicken with the cooked chicken. You're just trusting that the cockroaches, you're trusting, <laughs> right? We, we trust. There's something in the corporate world, and I don't know if you've ever done this before, but it's called a trust fall, and leadership coaches and mentors do that. Some of you are moaning because you've done it before. You're like, yeah, right? They line up your team, and they put two rows down on the ground, and they have one person stand on a platform, a stage like this, and the team stands facing each other. They stick out their arms, and they grab onto each other's arms to make a platform, and the whole premise is that you must turn around and just lean back, and trust that they're going to catch you. And what's so difficult about that is this. You have to release all control and lay it into their hands. Now, what's crazy is it's such a difficult thing for people. I don't care your personality, but usually it's done with groups of type A personalities like me, right? We don't want to lose control. We want to keep it, right? What's crazy is I've never read about, I've never watched a video, I've never heard a story where someone's doing a trust fall and everyone just takes a big step back. <laughs> now that video would be hilarious, right? Could you imagine that on YouTube? <laughs> like, and watch this guy, <laughs> you know, wham, right? It's never, I've never, never, never heard it. But yet we still have a such a huge difficulty trusting in that moment. And we can see those people, and we know those people. And we wonder why it's so difficult to trust God, who we've never seen. I've never heard his voice audibly. I think that would be cool one day, but... And so when life crashes in on us, And we have to trust him with everything. That's difficult, isn't it? Today is going to be a little different. I'm just going to warn you, it's going to be a little different. And uh, uh, just as you sit there today, um, just, you know, if you're like, wow, this is intense. uh, you, You just have to sit here once. I have to sit here three times. But you see, trust in our spiritual life, it's that last step when we say to God, no matter what happens to us, I will follow you completely. So right now, I'm going to share with you a piece of me, a piece of my story, a piece that uh, is pretty dark, a piece that I've struggled through, fought through, and uh, I think I've come a certain distance through, I don't know where I'm at. But the essence of my story was the moment where I had to realize either I was going to trust God with all of who I am or I was going to walk away from him. Here's my story.
about a year and a half into marriage, we kind of said, you know, we want to start trying to have kids. And we just thought it'd be a couple months and we'd have, you know, two kids and a white picket fence and our family would just be that easy, that perfect. So we went through about um, three and a half years of fertility treatments. And um, I will never forget the day we sat across from a doctor and he looked at Chris and I and said, um, we don't know why, we've done everything we can, um, you're not gonna be able to have kids. I remember that day it was just like a, a, you know, a punch to the stomach going, this has been our life, our dream, how's that possible? We were given a, an amazing opportunity to adopt uh, two kids. Kiera had just uh, turned one the first time we, I met her, and uh, her brother Caden was three months old, and he was born three and a half to four months premature. And so he was in the hospital at the time uh, when we first you know, discovered this opportunity. And it was just this amazing just God just moment where we just believed that God was saying, here you go. Caden, he, uh, with his lungs being underdeveloped, he had a trach in. Doctors had said that he was doing great. Um, they had taken his oxygen intake down. He was um, eating real foods, um, drinking out of bottles. Um, he was doing really good. and It was just time. Yeah. It was just, we just needed time for his lungs to develop more. Every day was an adventure. Um, but we never forgot to thank God truly for the fact that he did answer our prayers and, and give us the, the two kids that we've always prayed for. Probably about six, seven o'clock, his apnea monitor went off and, um, I remember we ran in. We found him, we found him in his crib and, um, he was trying to grasp for air and, uh, I think even before that, you saw him and you could see the distress in his in his face, and we'd never seen that before. And so I quickly looked at Kim and said, "Go call 911." I remember we we're giving him CPR, and you just you just know, you just know it's not working. Air wasn't getting down to his chest. And I'll never lose that image in my mind of just knowing that there was nothing I could do. I begged God. I begged him for a miracle. I begged him to save his life. I sat there and I did everything I could to say, God, please. I've seen you work miracle after miracle after miracle in the lives of so many people. Tonight, I need you. Tonight, I need you to save my son, and I know that you can. I know you have the power to save him. Please, give me that one request. And it was silent. To this day, I'm not sure why God didn't answer my request, and I still wonder. Why not us? Why not our boy? 
but I'm not sure if there's really a reason God could give me. But what I do know is God hurts with us. And our loss is his loss. I remember just saying to God that this is what I'd always wanted. I had begged, I had cried, I had pleaded with God to just have kids call me mom. And I remember being mad. And I remember being confused and hurt and upset. And at the same time, there was still a nugget inside of me that said, God gave you this, and it's his to take away. And so there's this day, and uh, it was this warm, warm Vegas, 115-degree day. And I was sicker than a dog. I thought I had the flu. I thought I had something. My sister was here in town visiting, and she said, Kim, you are pregnant. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you are a school teacher. I paid a man a lot of money who specializes in this, and he said, there's no way. And she said, can we just go get a, get a pregnancy test? So I grabbed one, and lo and behold, I am pregnant. kind of laughed the first time I held Claire mm -hmm. but it was kind of a laugh to say God I get it you've just called us to follow you not to make sense out of all this stuff going on not to understand it and so as I held Claire for the first time blown away by just the miracle of birth was just God saying I'm with you and thank you for following me. Thank you for walking by faith. I'm not sure if uh, this moment is more for me or more for you. It's the first time that I've, uh, I've shared this story personally in public. Uh, doing that video a couple of years back for the church I came from uh, was hard enough. As we talked about this thought back, I would say late July, early August, and I was talking with Steve and Charlie and they're like, you have to share your story. And I'm like, no. I don't have to. I don't think I want to. But um, then this, this whole core series kind of rolled out, and this word trust came. And it's like, oh, I guess, God, I have to. What I ask from you today is this. I don't know if I'll have a lot of answers to give you. I'm not sure if we'll get done in about 20 minutes and I'll make any sense. So you might just go, oh, that was sad, but uh, I'm not sure what he said. I'm okay, I'm okay with that. Uh, I have to do one more, so we'll see how bad that one is. 
what I hope you hear is the journey that we've been on and where I'm at today. You see, the, the question why is a question that has been asked since the dawn of time. Some of the greatest philosophers and minds and intellects ever, ever to walk the face of this earth have asked the question why. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow evil? Why does God allow these things to happen to people? Why? And there's still not an answer to that, is there? But we try to discover why. We try to fight through and think that maybe, because I thought this, maybe I could actually discover the reason to why. Why would a loving God, knowing that my wife and I tried for about seven years to have kids, and finally Oh, it's an amazing story. He brought two amazing kids in, and we adopted them. It was like, oh, perfect story. Warm and fuzzy. Why? Why would he take them away? Deal with that thought for a second. Really, God? You brought kids in our lives just to take one away? Well, how cruel is that? Seriously? I'd rather have been without kids. Just don't give us, I'll buy more dogs. (laughs) Right? So, God, your, your perfect plan was to give us kids in one of the most amazing ways possible, and then just remove one in the most tragic way you can imagine. Because I don't know for you, but when I watch my son die in front of me, and there's nothing I could do to save him, what do you do with that? Here's what I know. The specifics of my story is really different than your story. I would say there's a high percentage of all of us in this room that have walked through, are walking through something as intense. And we rest on the word why. Why? If I could hold my son again, I'd give anything to hold him again. Every time someone comes up and and this, I I don't project this on you. There's a, a nice counseling term, but it's a natural question. How many kids do you have? How how am I supposed to answer that? Do I say two because I really don't want to tell people because I really hate pity? So I tell him two, but now I feel like I betrayed Caden? Or do I say three and get the pity? Oh, I'm sorry. Again, I'm projecting, so don't give me a little space here. Like, what, how, how do I answer that question? The movers had come, and uh, our house was empty, and my wife had taken the girls, and... Uh, my dad and I were walking through our house. 
in Vegas. And we came to Caden's room. And it's not like we had like talked about this or we had said, hey, this is going to be difficult. Or, hey, listen. I mean, it, w- it was one of those just we're walking through the house, literally making sure that nothing's left hanging on the walls or uh, stuck somewhere. I don't know. We're just, and we come to his room. We walked in his room. And, and at the precise moment, my dad and I just stares because that's where he died. So this morning, what I hope, in some sort of coherent, (laughs) logical way, as I try to keep my emotions somewhere down, to share with you the part of my journey that I think, no, I know, saved my life. And forever changed me. In Proverbs chapter 3. It says trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. See those are verses that maybe you've heard before or read. And they, they're, they're really great encouraging words right. They're kind of the raw raw verses of trust. Trust God yay. Right? That's how you feel reading those. But you layered those, those words on top of this. It starts painting a whole different picture, doesn't it? What you're having to live through right now or what you have lived through. You layer those words. How do you trust in the Lord when he rips something out of your hands? How do you trust in the Lord I know this book. You see, I have, there's no other pastors in my family. I'm not that guy that was you know, raised in this great lineage of pastors. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just not that guy. I was raised in a lineage of great businessmen. My junior year in high school, I'm sitting at, in a VP's office in Bloomington, Illinois, a VP's, VP of State Farm Insurance, corporate headquarters were there, and I was doing the, what do I need to do to go on the corporate path to get an MBA and go that direction? That was my path. My dad set it up. He was great friends with this VP, and uh, we were mapping out what my, the course of my life was. <laughs> Obviously, God kind of took me in a different direction. So I found myself in this moment where literally I'd given God my life. I said, God, it it wasn't about what I wanted to do, what I wanted to become, my aspirations. When God grabbed a hold of my heart and God said, go this direction, I said, okay. So I found myself years later on the floor of a hospital room. Begging God to work a miracle for my son. It's not one of those begging God moments where you're begging God for that promotion you want. Begging God for his life. I know this book. I believe in this book. There's countless stories of his miracles. I've encountered people who literally medically had a miracle of God because doctors couldn't explain it away. And I begged 
to God for one of those miracles. God, I've given you my life. I followed you. When you said go that way, I went that way, even though I wanted to go this way. I followed you. I've given you everything. Now, I'm asking you one miracle, please. And when I said in the video he was silent, I mean he was silent. So we lay Proverbs 3 on top of this and layer it on top of your story, whatever your story might be. And how do you trust in the Lord in a moment like that? I stumbled across in my my journey as I try to wrestle through and make sense of this And I came to a book by a guy named Brendan Manning. I don't know if you've ever read any of his stuff. Brendan was born in New York City during the Great Depression. He became a priest, a friar. He was this Franciscan monk guy, philosopher, and writer, author. And he wrote this book called Ruthless Trust. And uh, these words literally, I think, saved me. Unwavering trust is a rare and precious thing because it often demands a degree of courage that borders on the heroic. When the shadow of Jesus' cross falls across our lives in the form of failure, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, unemployment, loneliness, depression, the loss of a loved one, when we are deaf to everything but the shriek of our own pain, when the world around us suddenly seems a hostile, menacing place, at those times we may cry out in anguish, How could a loving God permit this to happen? At such moments, the seeds of distrust are sown. It requires heroic courage to trust in the love of God, no matter what happens to us. You see, there is no answer to why. I'll just tell you that right now. Again, the greatest minds ever to live have wrestled through this and they've never been able to answer why. And what I discovered on my journey was this, was every time intellectually, because that's what the first step of trust is, there's this intellectual side where you just say, I will trust, right? On the trust fall, you intellectually have to say, okay, I trust, I'm gonna lean back. Where your heart, your emotions is beating against that, going what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. You have to overcome that and say, I will I will lean back. They will catch me. And what I came to realize was that pursuit of why got me nowhere because as soon as I intellectually answered one of those why questions, a whole host of other questions just collapsed on it. And I'd have to sort through those whys and whys and more whys. And I found myself going in this vicious circle, kind of like a hamster in a wheel. And all it was doing is driving me deeper and darker. Proverbs 3 goes on and says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see, the the first part of trust is, like I said, this intellectual side where you have to make a decision. Are you or aren't you? You can't trust like 87.6%, right? Trust is I will or I won't. There's not this, you can't, it's not trust in the middle, right? You can't. You can't. You either do trust or you don't trust with all your heart. And how do you trust intellectually when your heart is screaming at you? 
when emotionally you're so conflicted you don't know what to do with it, when the pain is that intense, when the loss and the hole that loss creates is that black and that dark, and how do you take both of those pieces and kind of line them up and, 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 and bring them together? How, what do you do with that? What do you do with it? For me, anger just welled up. Oh, I walked into church every Sunday because, and Saturday night because guess what I was paid to do? I was paid to show up to church. I was a pastor. And last time I checked, they weren't going to cancel church because I was having a hard moment. So I would show up to church. And I was over the family ministries area, which means, guess what? In family ministries, people have babies. And they'd come up and like, look at my new daughter. My wife was working in children's ministry, and she was surrounded by people complaining about being pregnant. Complaining? You're pregnant. You have a kid. We're down one. Good-hearted people. Have you ever had this happen? It happens a lot everywhere, but in the church especially. You know, good-hearted people that come up and they're uncomfortable because they realize you're going through something intense and they figure that a short phrase would solve all your issues. And so they make those comments. We've all done it, right? I call them now the stupid people. I was. I've recovered. And they come up and they would say things like this. Oh, but he's in a better place. I, I can't share with you the first words that wanted to come out of my mouth. Really? He's at a better... Thank you. I just feel warm and fuzzy now. Why don't you take everyone else I love to a better place? Because I would rather hold him for 60 years. Okay, maybe not 60. That'd get awkward. (laughs) I would rather hold him and be with him and see him. And then one day he can go up to heaven and spend eternity in a better place. I'd rather that solution than now. Side thought, don't be that person. Just don't. You know what I've learned? Because I was that person. When people are going through just an insane moment in their life when there's really no questions, shutting up and just sitting with them is so much better than trite sayings. Don't be that person. And you'll want to. You'll leave here today and you'll, you'll want to. You'll be like, ah, shove the words back in your mouth. Just keep them. And just be with a person. Now, all I, all, all I say to people, when they're going through something that insane and intense and whatever, I just like, my heart's with you. My heart breaks for you. And I usually say, there are no words I can say, but I'm here. We had some incredible friends that just sat with us, cried with us. Goes on in Proverbs 3, where it says, Do not depend on your own understanding. And I really think that's the heart of it. On the heart of the why question, there, my understanding can't comprehend it. But there's a story in the Bible about a guy named Job. And I don't know if you've ever studied Job. Some of you just kind of went, like, Oh, you've no. You, chapter 1, you just have to read one chapter, and you realize if you read chapter 1 of Job, you'll realize that. Uh, <laughs> Your life's not that bad compared to him. It's kind of an encouraging book if you want to look at it that way, right? You're like, wow, I thought my life was bad. That was bad. And the whole premise of Job was Satan was bored. Again, kind of my 
commentary to it, but really, at the end, he was just, Satan was bored. He was like, ah, God, I want to test someone and see if life gets really bad, will they still follow you or will they walk away from you? And so God said, fine, Job, go for it. Just don't touch him. And I wonder, some 4,000 years ago, if God said okay to Satan because he knew people like you and I would face insane moments. Because you see, Job, you saw these words in the, uh, the video. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. That's trust. God, you, you have it all, including myself. And whatever happens, it's in your hands, not my hands. It's when you look at God and say, I will relinquish all of me, all of my control, all of my desires, all of me to you, and I'll hand it over to you. Proverbs 3 goes on in verse 6 and says, says, Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. There's this amazing moment, and I read this moment many times, but again, through my journey, God just has a way of taking his word and just amplifying it in, in your life. And uh, you, you know that moment where Jesus was in the garden? I mean, Jesus knew he came to this earth to walk on this earth, right, to die. This wasn't like a new discovery for Jesus, right? Oh, I didn't realize that this was part of the deal, right? He knew it. It was prophesied. It was the plan. And he's in the garden and he's praying. And these were his words. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then the angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently. And he he was in such uh, agony of spirit that his sweat, sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. That line, God, not my will, but your will be done. See, that's trust. Trust that says, it's not my desires, but I'm forsaking mine for yours. It's not what I want to happen, it's in your hands. It's not where I want to go, it's about you. And when you look to God and say, God, what path must I take? It stops being the question of why and quickly starts to be about who. Who are you going to put your trust in? See, that's, that's the real question. It's not why God, but who. I came to a point personally where it was kind of mission critical. And... Uh, I tried the counseling route, and again, I'm a big proponent of counseling, so don't hear that, but I think I just got the wrong counselor who didn't know how to deal with me <laughs> um, and the situation. And uh, I kind of threw in the white flag at Central, and I said, uh, I said to our senior pastor, I said, Judd, I, I need help because uh, my marriage is going to go, and my kids are going to go, and I'm going to implode, and I'm a train wreck, and it's going to happen. Emotionally, I was just there because I tried to shove it down, 
and it just became this pressure cooker. And uh, so I went to a place called Blessings Ranch, and Blessings Ranch is this ranch in Fort Collins, Colorado, where there's a guy named Dr. John Walker. And the whole premise is he'll take two people a week. It could be two couples or two individuals or whatever, but he had two slots a week to help people. And it's a week-long deal. And I remember going, going, okay, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how you can fix this, but I'm going to try because I, I was at that place. So I'm sitting in his office the first session and kind of unpacking this world. And I kind of really thought, I really thought that it was more my wife had issues than me had issues because she had like gotten through this a lot faster than me. And so I thought that she wasn't dealing with it, which in all reality, she was fine. I was really jacked up. And um, he gave me homework to do. And I, I literally laughed in my head when he said, I want you, Chris, to write a letter to God. <laughs> like, really? Like, you don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not that guy. I'm not some letter-writing guy. But because I'm a type A personality and I'm an overachiever, I was like, well, if I have to write a letter, I'm going to do it well, right? I'm going to do it the best way I can. So I left, and again, there's these three letters, and he said, well, I just want you to start in letter one. We'll get to letter two and three. I'm like, okay, fine. I will overachieve writing your stupid letter. And uh, he uh, said, I want you to write a letter to God. I'm like, okay, what else? Whatever you want to write. (laughs) Give me some framework. No, just write a letter to God. So I went to a park. I can picture this moment, river running through. My wife looked at me and goes, well, what do you want for me to do? I'm like, nothing. Like, you don't get homework. I got homework. Go do something. This is my letter. I'm not sure exactly where to start, what should be or needs to be said. I guess that you will just guide my heart and my thoughts. First, I know you're God. You're always perfect, flawless, without fault. I'm totally confident in that. I know that you have the ability to take the circumstances that occur in life and use them for your good. I guess that is why I find myself pulled in opposite directions. I found myself totally relying on your will, which I know is perfect. I can grasp the thought that you have called the willing to step out in faith. But faith, so many times, just doesn't make sense. I know the stories in the Bible, Abraham and his son Isaac, and that long walk up the mountain, Joseph being sold into slavery. But you just called us to follow, to be willing. I get that. But why, Caden? No, I don't blame you for his death. I know that you didn't cause it. But why didn't you save him? Why didn't you work a miracle? Why didn't you reach out and touch him? Why didn't you flick that plug out of his airway so he can breathe? Why didn't you? I guess that question that can't, that is a question that can't be answered. But I wonder, if you gave me the answer, would it resolve the hurt I feel inside? Would it bring closure? Would the answer bring understanding? Would knowing draw me closer to you? Would comprehending the answer take away the longing to hold Caden again? I think the answer is simply no. To understand the why would probably bring with it another list of questions, hurts, and misunderstandings. Plus, no answer would ever help me understand the loss of my son. I guess I have resolved in myself that you're God and I'm not. You love me so very much. You hurt when I hurt. You experience the loss when I experience the loss. You grieve when I grieve, and you totally understand the pain of losing a son. Okay, God, one request. 
Could you wrap your big arms around Canaan for me every morning and give him a hug? Could you whisper in his ear that I love him? Could you tuck him in at night for me? If you can do that for me, I have peace inside knowing that it's okay because he is with you. There's not a day that goes by. I don't miss my son. But I've come to the point to realize, like Job has, everything I have was God's at the beginning and is his to take away. Because if I don't trust him completely with my life, the alternative is a dark, horrible place to live life. And there's no middle ground. Friends, there's no middle ground. I promise you next week will not be like this. Um... my challenge for you is this. If you're struggling with something that is anywhere along whatever, you got to get it out of you. Scream at God, he can handle it. I said things to God that literally I thought that, man, he's just going to strike me with lightning. Um, I'm like, oh, can I say that? I'm like, oh, he already knows it. It's in my heart. Um, If you have to write a letter, but better yet, Go, go talk to a friend. Get it, get it out. Let it out. Don't hold it in. Just allow to process. And if you're that friend, shut up and just listen. Don't give your trite advice. Just don't, don't do it. You'll want to. You'll want to. People say the stupidest things I did. Like I said the craziest things. And I had great friends, especially my wife, who just let me just talk as I tried to verbalize a pain that was just erupting from my soul. If you need to, go get counseling. Get help. Don't keep it in. Two, again, when that friend comes to you and they're erupting, just sit there with them. Sit in the muck and mire and love on them. And don't try to fix them. Don't try to fix them. You can't fix that. All you can do is help them walk the journey. That's all you can do. Help guide them in the way. And the last thought. So many times, the church gets a horrible rap because the church gives superficial answers to issues that have really no answers. What I love about Renaissance is a place. A place where we can wrestle through thoughts like this and really not have an answer to other than to say, yep, at one point you're going to trust God. Or you're not. That's what it comes down to. That's what Job came to. That's what Jesus came down down to. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I thank you for today. I pray that through my muttering that I, I just pray that maybe my words could help. Wherever someone is right now, that my words could help. That, Lord, I pray that all of us walk out of here today. Um, it doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't take the issues away. But, Lord, I do know that in the day we're just called to trust you. 
to walk our lives by faith. In your name I pray. Amen.